Hello and welcome back to the Miss Amanda Chen Show. This is the final episode of the 100 Masked Men series, where I anonymously interview men from all around the world about what it's like to be a man in the modern world today. Masked Man number 100 is the last man. I really took my time looking for this one, and I'm glad I waited to cross paths with this Englishman that happened to be in Mexico City at the same time I was. After hearing a lot of personal accounts of perceived bad or toxic behavior, it was interesting to find a man who basically ghosted his friend after suspecting that he might be abusive to his romantic partners. What happens when you know someone who might not actually be a harm to themselves, but more of a harm to others? In this episode, he shares a story on discovering that his best friend may not be as honest as he claims to be. I think this is a valuable conversation in assessing how men can gaslight other men into thinking that they are the crazy ones for thinking different thoughts. So let's get into it. Let's see what you believe in and what you don't believe in. I hope you enjoy the show. I mean, it's a story that's quite uh, sensitive for me, actually. Um, so this is a really interesting way to I don't know treat this interview as kind of like a, a a confessional or I was thinking more like a therapy session for myself actually okay <laughs> so I'm quite grateful for that um yeah so I mean it's interesting isn't it this idea that men um what should we be doing to be good allies for women is is kind of checking each other's behavior I mean I'm a man who oh for sure I'm sure that you know in my younger days teenager early 20s you know, there are probably countless occasions where, you know, I treated a woman in a way that wasn't very kind. And, you know, I'm sure that that happened. But I'm fairly sure that at this point in my life, I'm kind of self-aware enough not to do that, or at least to be aware of my own motivations and to check my own behavior. And so then it's like, well, is, is that enough? Well, no, you know, reading like feminist literature and that kind of stuff suggests that men should be checking other men's behaviors and I think my story is kind of interesting because perhaps it shows how complicated that can be um, and perhaps even how purposeless it can be although perhaps Amanda you can you can encourage me to feel less purposeless that would be good why do you think yeah I mean why do you think it's purposeless because I think that men who treat women very badly I think that they might be a bit hopeless I'm not sure how much checking their behavior is really going to change. And we're talking about serial abusers, you know, people who get into romantic relationship after romantic relationship and create toxic environments or, you know, emotionally or even physically abusive environments. I think those men probably have some kind of deep-rooted psychological issues yeah. I don't think it's a, a really a question of you know oh yeah I you know I, I belittled my girlfriend to the point that she had a nervous breakdown I didn't realize that that was a bad thing to do you know yeah. um, so like what what do we do in, in in those cases I think what I've experienced lately is a lot of men can tell when another man is maybe dishonest whereas women might not have that same intuition just because they're not of the same gender but what happens is these men that might be of a better moral standard than these other men, they just isolate them and put them in this box of bad men. But we don't know that pool of the good men versus the bad men. That's kind of just like a intuitive thing amongst other men to know about. 
So women end up just finding themselves in a mosh posh of just like all the types of men. So if they get a larger majority of the bad men, they're just going to consider all of them bad. If they luck out to get all of the good men, then they consider all of the men good. But yeah. the problem is isolating or discarding these guys to just like this trash bucket and then being like, okay, guys, you guys are hopeless. We're just going to leave you there, and then we're not going to do anything about it. So I think it's more important than ever to have men as allies in that space. But it's it's a big demand because now we're asking for you to not only support women and help them with their issues, but now you also have to support these kind of hopeless men that you're basically saying is also hopeless. Like, How would you potentially help these men, or do you even want to? Uh, I was much more a pessimist when I was younger or I think probably these days I, I am as much of a pessimist and a cynic as I ever have been but I'm not so comfortable with that you know when I was younger I used to love my own pessimism and so now I, I try and find the light in in every situation I suppose uh yeah I guess to answer that question maybe I'll go into this story but yeah. before doing that um I think it's really interesting the point that you just made about how um, perhaps men are better able to recognise dishonesty in other men. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is a really interesting point, but I wonder whether you think the same is true amongst women. Do you think that women can recognise dishonesty in other women better than men can? Yeah, I think there's an unspoken dialogue between genders, and I think that's why it's really exciting to see people that consider themselves of a different gender or have seen both sides of the gender and have you know transitioned either physically or mentally or emotionally. And then that blurs the line to make me kind of unsure if I really believe that there is an unspoken language or it's just a familiarity that you might have that you've built up over time. And now I'm beginning to question it because I've had this practice to start speaking to men, which is never a thing that I used to do. I'd only speak to men in a romantic context or a work context or something, not in a platonic, friendly, supportive pure way the way that I would do with with other women so when we start looking at each other as peers or as equals to each other I think then we'll be able to find that understanding but right now it's like you know men are from Mars women are from Venus and we just consider them as outsiders okay well perhaps at the end of this session I will begin my transition into another gender time time will tell time will tell who knows it's the final episode right so we need to go out on a bang yeah okay so where to begin I had a friend um, who was really close to me and a really important and I would say beneficial influence on my life when I was a a young man. And we were very close for years. Um, And then we began to live in other cities and other countries and we kind of naturally sort of drifted apart a little bit. And when I last saw him, I... How can I say this? For for a long time throughout our relationship, I had suspicions that he, I felt like he had uh, some issues, let's say, um, with women and specifically with, with women that he was in a romantic relationship with. Um, and I suspected that things were not totally okay in this aspect of his life, but I wasn't sure how deeply to suspect anything I didn't suspect anything in general but I did notice this kind of pattern of you know immediately falling in love with somebody and then having a relationship that lasted you know two three perhaps four years and then it would end in a really catastrophic way where he'd kind of say that he wanted to kill himself and then that would last for about a week and then all of a sudden he'd meet somebody else who he was like massively in love with 
So, you know, that that was from since the beginning of our friendship or perhaps even before, because we lived in the same town. We were kind of aware of each other for a while before we were friends. So I kind of heard stories. And when we became friends, well, pushed them away and thought, well, who cares what other people think about your, your friends or the people that you love? You know, it's it's their proven track record, which we should judge them on, you know. But yeah, you know, from early on in our relationship, I recognised that there was something to be improved in his sort of romantic relations. Um, and the final time that I saw him, I, I really felt like a lot of my suspicions were confirmed and that perhaps they were worse than I had ever feared. Um, I thought that perhaps, you know, his his kind of illness in, you know, towards how he relates towards women, I thought that really it was just affecting his own life. But I later had reason to believe that it was probably really significantly negatively affecting his partner's lives as well. Mm-hmm. So how did that change or develop from, oh, this guy is just kind of, you know, a little girl crazy, you know, always falling in love really fast and kind of sensitive and might have some kind of emotional illness or whatever, um, which seems pretty tame. You know, you guys can have your heart-to-heart talks and deal with that to, oh, this person is actually actively hurting another human and I'm no longer okay with this. Like, what was the, the change or the turning point there? So when we were younger, I mean, we went to the same university and we lived in, in houses together often. And the girls that he would be with at those times... Um, were kind of like a part of our social circles. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes they'd live in the house, or or if not, they'd at least be sort of friends of friends. So it, it seemed like, you know, if there were ever problems in their relationship, then they would become apparent, um, and she would be able to share them with people, um, and he wouldn't be able to hide them from anybody. Um, and a couple of years later, um, that, that changed. I remember he had one girlfriend who... Uh, they lived together in this this tiny little apartment and she was always very effectively bracketed by him from his social circles. It was like, you know, he has his friends and then he has his girlfriend. And of course I would talk to her, but I can't think of a single conversation I had with her where he wasn't also in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, that relationship went on for some time and it was it was totally rocky. I think they must have been together for about four or five years. And about one year before the end of that relationship, um, I met up with him for for the first time uh, in in quite a long while. Um, It was Christmas. And I went over to his father's house. And the three of us sort of sat around, you know, shared a beer, shared some stories, some jokes, that kind of thing. And as soon as his father disappeared upstairs to, to go to sleep... It was like a, a a switch of insanity had been flicked in in my friend's mind. He he began sort of like recounting these stories. You know, he was he was talking like a manic person, right? I don't know if you've had conversations with you know truly manic people before, but it's like you know they'll just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk for you know literally like three hours, and like. There might be every, you know, very, very rarely, there might be two seconds where you get to say something, but you really feel like what you've said just gets... Lost. It just yeah. evaporates into the atmosphere, and then this person is, is going back into this, you know, telling stories over and over and over, quite often repeating the same stories, or mm. kind of contradicting himself. 
Anyway, this story was about how his partner had some kind of post-traumatic stress disorder and that it was it was kind of giving him post-traumatic stress disorder at the same time. And like he was a real fan for using these, you know, diagnostic terms from psychotherapy that neither of us actually really understand, right. I think, you know. Okay. So yeah, he was saying that he done these investigations, you know, talking to his partner deeply, you know, kind of uprooting these very kind of like deep and old memories and that he'd figured out that she was probably abused as a child and, you know, some some really terrible kind of nightmarish things. But yeah, so he said that he was living with this person and that she was a complete mess, just like broken down all the time, screaming, crying, attacking him you know, uh, destroying items of furniture. And there was there was something about it that I didn't quite... I didn't quite trust from the beginning because he just seemed to be in such a bad place. And whenever I've spoken to her, she seemed like she was really uh, quite a well-grounded woman, quite a strong woman um, with her own life aside from the relationship, which is something that... I don't think that he had at that time. There were there were countless contradictions in, in our conversation, but I can't remember them all. However, one thing I can quite clearly remember is that he said that his girlfriend would um, would threaten him sometimes uh, with biting her tongue. So she'd put her tongue between her two rows of teeth like this yeah. and then threaten that she was going to bite through the tongue. And he said to me, not a lot of people know this, but because there are major arteries in your tongue, if you bite through it, you can, you can, you know, be dead before the ambulance even turns up. Then he said, when I was a child, I, I you know, fell uh, when I was running around with my tongue stuck out. And yeah, I bled loads. Oh, wow. There's a story that, that I already knew. Um, so yeah, he, he said that and he said, yeah, sometimes she's just like, you know, kind of threatening me to keep my distance by putting her tongue in this position mm. and it's incredibly traumatic, da, 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 da. And later that evening, I remember he stuck his tongue out. I don't even remember under what pretense, but he stuck his tongue out and I swear to God, I could see <laughs> these like thick scar-like grooves in his tongue. So it, oh, it, okay. it seemed to like me... it was him doing that he was projecting yeah, and throughout all of our conversation, it seemed to me that everything that he was saying that she had done was actually him doing. I had visited their apartment previously, and I remember fist holes in the wall that weren't completely sort of explained, you know. There, there's also this horrible story about a cat that mysteriously broke its leg and died. I don't know. There were all kinds of things which felt a bit fishy and which friends and, and, and partners of mine, people that I'd opened up to about the situation saying, I don't know what to do, I suspect that something's not right and I don't know what to do. Yeah, lots of people kind of confirmed that these, I probably wasn't crazy, these probably were some kind of warning signs. Later that evening, he, he sat down in the middle of the floor, he was rolling a cigarette or whatever, and... Um, I remember he, he was telling me this story about when him and his partner had walked down to the sea together and that he'd looked out across the ocean and that he'd seen, clear as day, this vision of her father's face. And then he looked at me and he said, he said, he, he said, David Lynch, man, he said, Twin Peaks. Sometimes I think David Lynch was right. Sometimes I think that there is an evil in this world and that it can get into people. And he said, he looked up at me and he said, 
sometimes I think that it gets into me. And I remember at this moment, his entire face just just twisted. I mean, everything. Started with the forehead, these really deep grooves, but also kind of like the, it looked to me like the bones around his eye and in his jaw were kind of like twisting, changing. Just after he said wow. that to me. Yeah. And he was kind of breathing in this weird way. And I don't know what was going on. Perhaps I am the crazy one. But I swear to God, the lights in the room started to, to kind of like dim and flicker a little bit. And as he said about this evil getting into him, I had this sensation that began on my ankle and then all the hairs and my calf and then onto my thigh, onto my hip, up into my leg. Yeah, all the hairs were just like tingling, like electric. And I felt it come over my shoulder. And at that moment, I just felt like there is something trying to get into me here. And I, I remember I literally, I shook it off. I literally moved my body. And as I did that, the lights came back up. His face went back to normal. And then he continued rambling, rambling, rambling. Yeah. You know, just more of the same, basically, is what had happened over the last few hours. It was really strange. And after that experience, I went back to my home in another country. And um, I started talking to some mutual friends of ours who... We have one who's like a, a trained psychiatrist now. I've got a lot of friends who've dealt with trauma in their own personal and sometimes professional lives. So yeah, there were a few mutual friends that I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to recount this story and we'll see what they, they say, see what they've got to, to tell me. And uh, yeah, I had a lot of interesting conversations, but still no one was really sure what to tell me. I spoke to one of his ex-girlfriends from about 10 years previously and she said that she didn't believe that he could ever be abusive, uh, but that he definitely had a history of psychiatric things. And, you know, when she'd broken up with him, he'd threatened to kill himself and, you know, was calling her for months afterwards saying that he was going to kill himself. Um, and that, you know, she decided to break up with him originally because of controlling behaviour. She said the final straw was when he told her that he didn't like her wearing makeup if she was going out without him mm -hmm. because he would say, you know, what's the point of wearing makeup unless you're trying to attract another man? You know, if I'm not there, why wear makeup? And apparently it was that moment she thought, ah, okay, this is not a relationship that I want to continue. Right. Yeah, so she was obviously quite a strong person. So my, my, my friend's story about the, the next partner uh, where things started to go wrong... I I felt like she was quite a strong person, but you know, from from his perspective, if you were really to believe what he said, then it was kind of like a classic codependent relationship, right. and there is certainly like a possibility for that. But I kind of think that after having negative experiences with healthy women, uh, then perhaps he started to pursue women who weren't so healthy psychologically, um, because you know they're less likely to run away from you, right? Yeah, because I was going to say, like, this new or most recent girl, you said it was about four to five years of a relationship. And if he's complaining about her in such a intense way, wouldn't your natural advice be like, well, you guys clearly aren't a fit for each other, yeah, right? Yeah. So I don't know how both of them wanted to remain in that situation for the duration of time that it was. Like, wouldn't that be the natural response and then you'd be like you're right let's let let me try to get myself out of this relationship because uh -huh. clearly this person has been treating me so badly yeah. so how did you respond when he would share this stuff is it just like a a dump of all of his emotion or would you 
have space to give him advice or was there did he listen to you at all like uh, I mean sure like you know what I said was it sounds like both of you need some kind of counseling whether right. that's together or apart or both I think that you you both really need some help here and he said yeah actually you know we tried I tried to book myself she wanted me to to go see a therapist and I, I tried to book that but um when I went to the NHS that's the the National Health Service in, in the UK, the, the, the free one. He went to the NHS and during the initial interview, he immediately told them that he smokes cannabis every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and they told him, OK, well, we, we can't treat you. Basically because there's a chance, you know, people talk about cannabis psychosis. And they said, OK, so, you know, if you're smoking cannabis every day, there's a chance there might be cannabis psychosis. So mm-hmm. we can't treat you. You need to go away, quit the weed, and then if you're still having problems, then then you can come back. Um, but that seemed like something that would be pretty pretty obvious, right? It seemed like a kind of uh, self sabotage, you know, to, to to destroy an opportunity to to make yourself better, I suppose. And then with her, it's like um, you know, if I said, well, maybe you guys shouldn't be together, he'd say, yeah, but she's in such a bad place right now. I think she'd kill herself. You know, if I left, she'd, she'd probably kill herself. Once he came to visit me and they were having problems and he was in a really bad way. Um, and I overheard him through a wall. He was like hissing, almost like a monster. And he was saying, you're a psychopath, you're a psychopath. And I was with another friend and I remember we looked at each other like, what the hell is going on? And then he comes back into the room, sits down, starts rolling a joint, starts like cracking a joke about something else, making a comment about the music or wow. as, as if nothing had happened. Anyway, yeah, I remember during that stay, um, I actually, I, I reached out to his girlfriend. Uh, I tried to kind of be as diplomatic as possible and just say, hey, I hear that you guys are having some problems. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything that you want to tell me, I'm completely objective to this situation. I just kind of sent that and let it go. Because I was thinking there's a chance that maybe this girl needs some some help. I don't know. And then I remember her her message back. It was so rational so so clear so cogent that i i really started to doubt all of his stories about her mental health she was basically saying something like uh, yeah you know we have these problems but we just need to stop talking about the same problems again and again and again we need to let these problems go and then i think our relationship can be okay so now i'll tell you about the problems that she was referring to so my friend opened up to me and told me that during the the beginning of this relationship, this girl had told him that once she had been at a party and she'd had a threesome with a guy and with another girl. Um, and he pretty much immediately said to me, but there's no way that that can be true because that would make her a slut, right? And I said to him at that point, well, no, you know, your, your partner's sexual history doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily impact on your relationship unless unless you let that happen and you know things that people do you know when you're young some people experiment some people are more conservative but it doesn't mean that you're two different types of people you can meet somewhere in the middle right uh and he was kind of like yeah yeah yeah, i know i know i know but then he was talking about how yeah so initially she told him that she'd gone to a party and slept with this guy and one of her friends and then he said that he couldn't believe it and so they'd talked for hours and hours and hours and they'd even had sessions using magic mushrooms and using MDMA to unlock her own memories and what they'd unlocked was that what had actually happened was this other girl and guy had conspired to 
drug her drink, basically date rape her, and then, you know, sort of initiate a threesome. And that that's what had happened. She'd basically been raped, you know, sexually abused, and... Um, and that is no longer her being a slut. Exactly. Right. So that's no, her no longer being a slut, right? So he said that it had taken months for her to unlock these memories and for her to realise that. And I don't know what was going on in their apartment, but, you know, I, I, I suspect it's either one of two things. I, I think that he was trying to convince himself of an alternative reality. Yes. And I think that either um, she went along with that because she thought, okay, well, fuck it, I'll just, you know, I love this man, so I guess I'll just pretend that I believe that. That's one possibility. The other possibility is that he actually planted false memories in her mind so that, you know, she no longer knew what to believe. So, yeah, that that happened and their relationship went on and, you know, through conversations with him, I came to understand that basically it was... The, the problem was this kind of se- sexual experimentation in the past that he wasn't comfortable with and it was basically tearing their relationship apart. So that's what she was referring to, right? When she messaged me saying, issues. we need to just talk about the same issues all the time, we need to let these issues go. So I think that's interesting because I experienced that in my relationships with some men that wanted to view me differently, like to be dateable, I guess, for in their eyes. So depending on my sexual history, they had to be like, oh, you're a victim of these things. Let me tell you how you are a victim of these things so that I'm the hero in your picture and then you will be forever loyal to me. And in some aspects that actually worked because I didn't know better as so, you know, in my early twenties and I thought, oh wow, this person cares so much about me to unpack this stuff is like, you know, he's kind of my personal therapist that I have a relationship with, which obviously was, you know, terrible yeah. to, to combine. But yeah, I think that's like a strategy that some guys use so that, it, and also like it, well, for one thing, it's going to convince them to be like, oh, I'm dating this Virgin Mary type of girl. And also like she now is in my hands and in my care and I'm going to treat her in this perfect way. So I think there is this like pseudo God figure that is at play here. Is that something that you got out of it? Cause you're saying that you're kind of just more confused about this guy just being totally convinced of his own story versus like, maybe it's not that he cares about her being a Virgin Mary. It's just that he wants to be her guiding mentor. Uh, I think, I think there definitely is a, an element of that. Certainly. I mean, it's, it's, it's true, isn't it? It's kind of like a stereotype that and we probably taught it through Disney or whatever, sitcoms and that kind of stuff. Wherever we learn about sex and relationships, we probably learn that, you know, the woman is supposed to be more virginal, you know, and it's OK for the man to have had all kinds of sexual dalliances in, in his, his past and stuff. Thinking about my own life, I mean, there's like an element of that, which was kind of maybe true I mean I remember I had a girlfriend who was like extremely promiscuous she she'd had like a huge amount of, of sexual partners before me um, and and that wasn't a problem for me except that she was also the kind of person who liked to talk about it all the time mm-hmm. L- like for, for me I feel like I don't mind what my partner's done in the past and like I don't even mind talking about it a little bit but I don't want to talk about it all the time and I don't want to know any details because that's just I don't know that's just going to feed parts of my imagination yeah. that I, I don't want fed yeah but I mean maybe that just comes down to the, the, the same thing right I mean you know who cares what your partner's done in, in, in the past 
or even in the future, because what's important is the bond that you have right now. That's the ideal, right? Mm-hmm. I guess different people have different red flags, don't they? And like, there's not anything wrong with that necessarily, you know? To be honest, I think, you know, speaking as a guy, I think that if, if a guy says, oh, it's a red flag for me if, you know, my girlfriend has experimented with sex in the past, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think everyone's got to have their own boundaries. They've got to have their own rules, you know? Um, I think the important thing is being honest with yourself and, you know, not trying to change your partner in the present, in the future, and certainly not in the past because that's literally impossible, isn't it? So all you're going to do is create traumas and false memories and all kind of horrible things. I think my problem with that is the double standard because it's like, oh, okay, yeah, sure, if you have been pretty conservative in your sexual life then yeah maybe you feel a little bit uncomfortable or intimidated to to date someone that has a big historical past in in sex that's fine but if you've also been really promiscuous you can't judge the other person for being super promiscuous just because she's the woman Uh and i think that's what what typically happens because it's like oh yeah i don't i don't want to date a slut but then it's like but you're kind of a man slut so Uh you know how how is that fair to say that's a boundary or a red flag because you you are the same it'd be different if if you weren't but yeah 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 i completely agree with that i absolutely agree but this story gets i mean it's already been kind of crazy (laughs) it gets crazier okay um actually no i think the sort of demonic possession where his face changes is probably the peak craziness yeah it's gonna peter out now i remember on a couple of occasions he told me we've been doing a lot of work me and this girl we've been doing a lot of work and she's been working really hard and yeah, she's recognised all kinds of abusive behaviours that she's been enacting towards me. She recognises them now. And yeah, you know, I, I really have faith that she can turn into the kind of person that's, you know, going to be good for me, basically. I was like, okay. Strange thing to say. Not necessarily anything wrong with that yet. But I remember he said once, uh, I can't remember what she'd done. She'd done something that was, you know, abusive towards him. And he told her to write a letter so she'd written like an apology letter to him and he was like ah you know she's so cute she wrote this letter it was like two pages long and it was just like rambling on and on and on and on you know an apology letter what do you what do you need you just need an introduction that explains what you did a main body that explains why what you did was wrong and a conclusion that just says that you're not going to do that again okay i mean is that not bizarre? That's like alarm signals going on your head when somebody actually has a template for the apology letters that their partner is supposed to be to be giving to them. And then what they received, the two pages wasn't enough, or was yeah, or, or it was yeah, it was <laughs> kind of cute, yeah, because okay. you know, because it was so emotional. Emotions cute, I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, he he started telling me about you know these long MDMA and. and psilocybin sessions that he'd had with with his girlfriend um at some point i remember he wrote an abstract uh, because he he wanted to he wanted to give a talk about it at some kind of conference of of professional psychotherapists and psychiatrists wow. okay. you know he doesn't have a university degree um anyway at the end of their relationship he met a young girl from a developing country who was living in the uk at the moment at that time 18 years old I think he was about 31, 32 um, and he completely fell in love with her and then that was the end of the relationship with the last girl once he'd found somebody else 
that was the end. Um, so I don't know what happened. I'm not sure. She's kind of vanished from social media. I imagine that she probably just like blocked everyone who had anything to do with, with her ex-partner. I'd really love to talk to her one day. Anyway, so he, he got together with some other girl and he disappeared to, to her country. And at some point I was travelling um, with my partner of the time and currently. Well, we were travelling through the Balkans and we went through Turkey and into Georgia. And at some point on that journey, we stopped for six weeks in a country. It was kind of Christmas time. We were thinking it might be nice to sort of like rent somewhere, just rest up for a month. We were doing a lot of hiking and camping and that kind of stuff. So it sounded nice. So I knew that my friend was, was in this, this country at the time. So I sent him a message saying, oh, how's the city where you are? And we're rolling through. Maybe we could stay a couple of days. And we're thinking about, you know, staying for longer. So if we like the city. And he said, sure, sure, come, you know. Um, and so we went to, to his apartment in this city. And it was really great. It was really nice. It was the first time that I'd seen him in a year. And he was displaying all the best aspects of his personality when me and my girlfriend were there, you know? Really, really hospitable, really, really funny. Very interesting, very inspiring, creative man, you know, who liked to, liked to share and liked to give to his guests and, you know, who liked to listen and, and to, to, to kind of conduct conversations that were sort of interesting for everybody. He's, you know, one of these people who really has the power of directing any conversation in any way that he chooses to. And usually he uses this power for good. And yeah, it was great. We had a really wonderful time. But it was really bizarre because every time he mentioned his girlfriend, his new girlfriend, the 18-year-old, um, he would only mention things that she'd done that had really hurt him and how he was feeling really traumatised in this relationship. She was abusive because of things that had happened in her childhood and it's toxifying their relationship. And I was kind of feeling like, wait, I've, I've heard all of this before. before with the last girl but this girlfriend is very very recent and it's like all of you know everything from the the final year of the past relationship seems to have just been thrown into the first year of this new one this is strange and you know the only good thing he would say about this young lady um, was that he loved her more than anybody that he'd ever met and he would repeat that sentence from time to time but then mostly just tell her tell us about these you know like abuses that she was enacting on him. I mean, for me, it's ludicrous. The idea that an eighteen year old girl can truly abuse a thirty two year old man. I'm sure people will contradict me on that, but it's perhaps it's not completely impossible, but it seems extremely unlikely, especially a thirty two year old man with the intelligence and, and strength and charisma um, that that this guy had. I think that's that he's right in his idea of that. Because I think there's a lot of older men that date younger women that are like, oh, this girl has a spell on me. And usually she's like 18 or 19 because she's this like beautiful youth. And I think it's because she has so much power over him and is unaware of that. So there's just like this magic of it. It's like, oh, I'm so enthralled by this woman, this young girl. And she doesn't know how to use her power, but she does have it. And then she ends up abusing you. But like, it's hard to say, like, is that really her fault if she's not conscious about doing that? Mm. Also, it's kind of your own issues of your self-worth and how you perceive yourself if you're giving it all all this power to this one person. Yeah. I mean, that's also the thing about codependent relationships, isn't it? It's mm. like, can each partner really blame the other? Because they're all right. They kind of have right. to blame yeah. themselves, really, right? Um, yeah. 
you know, I'm 32 now and perhaps I could meet a 16-year-old that I was really in love with. <laughs> Seems unlikely, but let's say that that happened. It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm sure that if I was completely in love with her, that, yeah, sure, she could manipulate me in some way. But not purposefully, yeah. Yeah, or maybe even purposefully. Yeah. But when does manipulation really truly become abuse? True. Yeah, that's a big word. Mm. Yeah. So anyway... um, after about four weeks, uh, we actually met this girl, and she was really lovely. Okay. Really beautiful young woman, and, you know, she was interesting. There's these drawings and stuff, and she was cool. Didn't really speak any English. Okay. I mean, a little bit. She spoke a little bit. He didn't speak any of her language. It was odd. Um, <laughs> so, so she lived, like, two blocks away from him with her parents. And, yeah, there were some problems in, in the relationship obviously there were a couple of times that we hung out all together and then she'd suddenly kind of just like leave uh, or it would be apparent that there was some kind of uh, some kind of disagreement between them and she'd kind of be you know saying like not this again not this again I'm just going to go hmm. kind of strange uh, we celebrated Christmas all together and then that happened at the end of Christmas she she kind of left and then he seemed he seemed strange afterwards. And then a couple of days later, I saw him and he told me that he twisted his ankle really badly. He twisted his ankle because of these pointy boots that he was wearing and that he couldn't really put any pressure on his ankle. And then we walked down to the shop together and he was very much hobbling on his foot. Um, and as we were walking, he told me, oh, you know, I, I, I told my, my girlfriend, but it's like she didn't care. It's, you know, she, she didn't want to know. She wasn't interested. Okay. A couple of days later, he told me that he'd found like a lump on his testicle. And, you know, it's shocking for any man. Mm-hmm. It's shocking, you know, for a man to find that kind of thing. It's shocking when you hear that about when you're friends. You're like, oh my God, not the big cancer, <laughs> not the worst one. Yeah. Um, but it was the same story. He said, you know, I told my, my girlfriend, but she didn't want to know. She wasn't interested. She's abusing me. Okay, and then a couple of days later, he called me up and told me that he'd been stabbed, um, that he'd been walking in his region around his apartment and that someone had tried to steal his phone or his bag or something and that they'd wrestled on the ground a little bit and that this person had stabbed him in the leg. And when I got that phone call, I looked at my girlfriend and I looked at the phone and I said, oh, it's him. And we kind of shared this look of, I wonder what it's going to be now. Uh, so he told me that he'd been stabbed. And of course, you know, immediately I said, oh my God, okay, I'm taking a cab. I'm going to come over to yours like immediately. Um, so I did that. And yeah, when I opened the the door, it was like in the kitchen, the tiles everywhere were just like covered in blood. Uh, and he said that, yeah, he'd come back to his apartment and then that he'd gone to her apartment and her family had taken him to the hospital. Uh, and that he'd seen some kind of doctor and then he'd been discharged and then he'd come home but his girlfriend didn't want anything to do with him in that moment he didn't know, you know, why not he didn't understand why and he was kind of talking about the family how they'd seemed sort of like really caring and then all of a sudden really unfriendly when they left the hospital at some point I asked him um, you know, aren't you supposed to give some kind of statement to the police if you've just been stabbed and he said, oh yeah, I thought so as well Um, They told me that when I went to the hospital, I was going to get looked at by a doctor and then I was going to give an official statement to the police 
uh, and then her family was going to drive me home. But what happened was I, I went to see the doctor and then he spoke to her family and then after that we just left the hospital and I said, oh, aren't I supposed to, to give a statement to the police? And they said, no, that's not happening anymore. Um, and, they, you know, he, he couldn't walk properly because he'd been stabbed but that he felt that this girl's family would kind of like rush into the car and rushing her to the car. And what seemed pretty obvious to me was that the doctor would have told the family, well, this is obviously a self-inflicted wound. Nobody has stabbed this person. And he's, he's stabbed himself. I wasn't sure about that, but having spoken to uh, doctor friends of mine, they said that, yeah, there are some clear signs to do with, you know, the, the direction of the wound, the, exactly where it is on the body, etc., etc. So that seemed kind of likely. At some point I said to him that night, you know, do you think that maybe she doesn't believe you? And it was like he'd had some kind of revelation, you know. He was like, oh my God, that's it, isn't it? The next day he said, yeah, I spoke to her and, and you were completely right. She said that she didn't believe me. And, you know, this was then turned into some kind of symptom of an abusive relationship that she's saying that she doesn't believe him uh, because she doesn't care and it's easier for her not to care if she doesn't believe him or she's trying to make him seem crazy. He kept talking about Kafka, Franz Kafka. He kept saying, I feel like I'm in the middle of, of a Kafka book where no one believes my story, but it really did happen to me. Nobody be believes me, nobody believes me. And yeah, then he sort of, he went into manic mode. I stayed there for a couple of days with him trying to make sure he was okay. He said that basically it was over between him and this girl, uh, that he was packing his belongings, going to move back to England, go to stay with his dad or his mum or, or somebody. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll just stay and make sure that he's not going to harm himself or anybody else in, during this time. So I stayed for a while and it was like, yeah, I didn't remember a moment where he was sleeping. Um, he'd previously admitted to me before that there had been times where he hadn't slept for about two weeks. And he, yeah, he basically was just going over and over and over this story again and again and again. The story of how he was stabbed and where he was stabbed and what happened again and again and again and sometimes it would change very slightly me and my girlfriend we both had this impression that this guy is like rehearsing something on her on us it really feels like practicing for later dates when he might have to talk to legal professionals or other people who don't have any emotional ties with him as if like we're kind of like puppets you know just in in his kind of rehearsal it really felt like that i remember at one point he cried and i've never felt this way before I've never felt that I'd seen someone pretending to cry other than like a three-year-old child maybe you know it really really seemed like that my girlfriend also said the same thing and yeah it was it was really odd eventually you know I wasn't sure what to do I didn't feel like I could get in contact with his girlfriend or her family because we didn't share any language I you know I'd met them like a couple of times it would feel completely inappropriate to say, hey, I think my friend is a psychopath and you need to stay away from him. Yeah. I kind of felt like that was on... I don't want to say on her. That sounds too cold. I, because I, I don't think that's on anyone if you're in that kind of crazy random situation. I didn't feel like there was anything I could do in terms of communicating with her. I thought about trying to get in contact with his family uh, to kind of explain what I felt was going on. In the end, though, and it's still something which causes me a lot of guilt, in the end I did nothing. I basically decided that I don't think that this guy is a danger to himself. I think that he's quite possibly a danger to other people. 
but I don't think that what he did, stabbing himself, I don't think it was an act of self-harm. I think it was an act of manipulation over somebody else. Because, sorry, by this point, he was walking around his apartment fine. Apparently his, his twisted ankle that was so severely twisted, you know, had just miraculously somehow maybe, you know, it repaired itself after the tumour grew on his testicle or perhaps he was stabbed in, in the other leg. So it, it, it seemed like some of his kind of lies and manipulations had already become apparent and it was like, it seemed like that's what he was trying to do. First he'll twist his ankle to try and manipulate this girl to talk to him again and come back and shower him with pity and heal their broken relationship. When that didn't work, he made it something more serious. And when that didn't work, he made it like literally a medical emergency so that you know there'd be no way that she could ignore him. It's like, I'm bleeding out of a gaping wound right now. I really felt like that was what was happening. And I knew that he was going back to the UK to his parents and I knew that his story didn't really make any sense and that surely it would be clear to anybody who spoke to him. So that's what I did, but I do think that there was some cowardice on my part. The problem is that I didn't really feel like speaking to him about his behaviour was a valid option. Um, as I said, like he's a very skilled manipulator, um, and to use less loaded language, as I was saying before, he's the kind of person who can control conversations. Um, and I'm not that kind of person, actually. I have an opposite kind of energy. So, yeah, I feel like if I'd tried to bring any of my suspicions up, he either would have completely changed the subject or he would have reacted with extreme anger because he's, like, an extremely angry man. Like, he will just blow a fuse, like, you know, in, in the shortest amount of time. And in the past, there had been problems in our friendship. And when I tried to bring them up, it's like he'd react with anger or he'd just, like, completely deny... Everything, even very well-confirmed and established facts. The story is, is way, way, way too long. I'm not going to even go into previous problems that we had in our friendship that had showed me sort of his manipulation and also his ability to lie to himself along with other people around him. But that had been made clear to me in, in the past. Yeah, so I, I felt like speaking to him about it wasn't really possible, especially when he seemed so manic. Um, it seemed like basically the way that he treated women came down to some deep psychological issues and I, I think there was like a, a kind of question of there was an aspect of him lying to himself and convincing himself of stories and I think that that is possible I think that we can lie to ourselves with such intensity that we begin to believe those lies um, or perhaps that's some kind of psychiatric disorder well I think it's interesting that this whole story is about a man speaking about being a victim to this abuse when actually he's doing the other thing. And I guess the guilt that you're feeling is you acknowledged it. You didn't question it. You had questions, but you didn't ask them. Right. And so I think at the end of this relationship, he's kind of like, well, it seemed like you agreed all the way along. And then suddenly you dropped off. There was no like moment in time where you were like, Hey buddy, I don't think this is real anymore. And then you start drifting off and saying, hey, like, I'm not believing X, Y, Z and more and more and more. Instead, you're just like, oh, question. Like, you'll bring up something that's rational to hope that that person is going to come to that conclusion themselves. And I think one thing that you mentioned is like, if he is basically an adult baby that's crying and having tantrums and doing these random things, like, there's no way to get a rational answer. You know, you're, you're kind of holding him to a too high of a standard, expecting him to get to that. So my question to you is like, if it is up to you to then 
either tell him honestly what you believe or say that you can't do these things or actually there should be two sides to this like this this conversation would be better held if we had both people in the room you know like how would you ideally reinvestigate that situation today knowing differently now so i mean the the door is still open for that what happened in the end was i left and a couple of months later i received a, a message from him over social media um it said my name <laughs> which is anonymous yeah. it said anonymous I have heard from a, a mutual friend of ours that you don't believe my story, that you think that I stabbed myself. And if that's the case, then I can't explain to you how phenomenally angry and disappointed I feel right now. He said to me, you know, if, if the tables were reversed and it was my best friend who'd, uh, who'd harmed himself, then I would I would be thinking, well, this person is such a a risk to himself that I need to intervene in some way. So I don't understand why you didn't do that. Um, so at, at this point, I was already quite clear in my head that I was thinking, okay, well, I don't actually think that you are harm to yourself. I think that actually most things that you do are um, concerned with your own self-preservation mm-hmm. um, and that this kind of like violent acts that you can enact on yourself are ways of manipulating people around you. Uh, but I didn't say that to him then. What I said was, yeah, okay, you've made a good point. Because I think he did make a good point, yeah. right or wrong. I think he did make a good one. I said, you made a good point and I need to think about it more. I'm feeling really incredibly guilty right now and I'm going to write to you. Uh, and that was the last interaction that we had. I said that I would write to him and I haven't yet. So, yeah, I mean, your question is a really good one. (laughs) And whenever I think about this story, I ask myself this question. And I ask the other people, my interlocutors, that same question. Because I don't have a clue how I could write to somebody, hey, sorry I haven't been in contact, but I think that you're a serial abuser of women and possibly a psychopath or somebody who doesn't feel empathy in the way that most normal people do. And I don't think there's any hope for you. How can I write that into a letter and send it to somebody? It's got to a point where, you know, someone said, well, you know, maybe you didn't say when you'd write to him and maybe you will when you're 100 and he's been dead for 20 years. You know, I mean, maybe it's going to turn to something like that. Maybe this conversation itself is a form of a letter towards him. I don't know. I mean, that's something that makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable. The, you know, any chance of him ever actually listening to this conversation. Mm -hmm. I find it very unlikely, but that's why I did have some uh, anxiety before we met today. I mean, I think, you know, there are so many podcasts out there and I'm not sure that he's the most interested in in episode 100 of a a feminist podcast. So I think, you know, that probably won't happen. But I guess for your own conscience, would you not want that closure? And I mean, you don't have to say it as bluntly as you just said it now, but it would be like, you know, I no longer think that I can have a relationship with you based on my suspicions of what's what I've seen out of your behavior. Like you don't have to call him out as being, you know, you're you're basically psychotic and all these things. But you can say, like, you know, I disagree with the behavior and I don't believe you as well as maybe these other women don't believe you, too best of luck i mean maybe i should maybe i should because i think that might help your guilt 
because right now it's if it's nothing then it hasn't come out of you yet once you release it it doesn't matter how he responds mm. he now knows at least that this is how you feel and you no longer hold it as a secret but i think that's the challenge with i think a lot of men because the way that you're contemplating about it being like oh even in this podcast like oh maybe he, someone's going to hear it like but then he hears it from someone else mm. versus directly from you mm. which is probably the, the best form of integrity to restore for yourself yeah for sure i mean i guess perhaps the reason why i don't want that closure is because i kind of feel like maybe there is something that i could do to help him you know the final bit of detail for this story is that you know we were really really close friends you know, we both are somewhat estranged from our families, but him more significantly than, than myself. Doesn't really have close relationships with mothers, fathers, siblings. Doesn't really have any old close friends. I think that in many respects, I'm the person who knows the, mo the most about his early life, certainly, um, and where certain psychological issues may have come from. Um, so there was a part of me um, throughout our interactions in recent years that was thinking well you know maybe this phenomenal list of contradictions is is some kind of cry to help towards me the only person who can help him but I really felt like I did try I tried to get him to speak to uh, to psychotherapist I, I tried to get him to to quit drugs I tried to get him to just spend some time on his own without any women I had spent so many nights just listening to him talking manically for, you know, five or six hours, all the time suspecting that something incredibly dark was going on. Yeah. And then afterwards, sometimes after we'd meet for weeks, I would be in a really dark place myself, feeling like I'd absorbed some energy, even literally like the story I told you with the hairs and stuff. And, you know, therefore being a burden on the people who were around me. So, yeah, I feel like perhaps that's why I don't want that closure because it's like if I really didn't want him to be a part of my life anymore then it would be so easy just to send him that message mm -hmm. saying hey I don't think this can, friendship can continue I didn't have to even give you any details that is probably what I find the hardest I think maybe closure is too aggressive of a term but I think the best help to give him now would be for him to do this alone and for you to say I disapprove of your behavior so when that is improved then we can reestablish our relationship again and that is probably like a strong enforcement of your boundaries and the best way to be an ally to both women and men that are challenged with this that latch on to other friends like you that are just oh i'll always be your buddy i'm always going to help you i'm always going to believe you but then that doesn't actually help them. That makes it worse because they're like, there's always my one buddy, my one best friend that's always going to believe me. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like we're in the same constant movement of insanity if we don't change, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're always doing the same behavior of like, okay, let me help you in this way and let me help you in this way. And you're always kind of picking up the slack for him mm -hmm. versus when you actually do give him that time to be by himself, mm -hmm. losing you as a friend, as an ally at this moment in time, that will force him to change his character. Unfortunately, we don't lose enough friends in our lives to teach us those lessons, and that's why we rely on the lessons of our romantic interests so much. At least that's just my, my two cents and how I see that. Yeah, I mean, I just... 
I do feel a lot of anxiety about this whole conversation. <laughs> Strangers listening yeah. to it, it's like, in what ways am I going to be judged also? You know, for failures towards my friend or failures towards his romantic partners as well. I mean, if he's possibly violent and dangerous, then, yeah, it's it's crazy trying to wrap my head around it. But, um, sorry, I mean, this has mostly just been me rambling, actually. It hasn't <laughs> been too much of a conversation. No, it's good. I think we've, we've peppered in, you know, some some aspects. But we do have five minutes left. So, I guess, since this is our last episode, you've hung out with me for a little bit. Do you have any questions for me? Yes, Amanda, I certainly do have some questions. It's the final episode of Masked Men, and I think it's been a really interesting project. And when you introduced the project to me, you said that you began it because you were doing some kind of life coaching with women, right? Mm -hmm. And that when women would approach you with, uh, you know, questions to do with their romantic interests or whatever, you would kind of have an a, a sort of dismissive attitude of, oh, you know leave him sister you know all men you can't trust any of those and you started to realize that you had some issues with you know your sort of relationship with men in your own mind so now you've done 100 episodes as like a, a way of addressing that and I wonder if you have any comments about how your identification with romance with relationships with with men has changed well I think in this journey my relationship to men has definitely changed. I see them differently. And in doing so, I now seek to be seen differently. I don't want to be, I don't want to walk into a room and captivate his attention. And I don't want to be selected out of all the other women. I don't want to be that thing, that shiny thing that he wants, because then it's something he is inclined to take. So... I now seek people in, in an equal sense of like, I want to be your friend. I want to get to know you. I want to see you as who you are. And then likewise, I want you to see me as who I am. I'm not going to try to impress you. I'm not going to try to gain anything out of this relationship. And I'm not going to expect anything out of this relationship. So that's really changed things. And then I guess another thing is just removing sex altogether. Not that I don't believe in romance or love, but I believe that sex can be apart from that, mm -hmm. at least in this moment in time that I'm experiencing life. And removing the importance of sex has really changed so much like i don't i don't care to to look a certain way in front of men or to to impress and and get attention on the street or any of these things with which is things i used to do i think everyone does that even men they're just like i want to be selected out of the room i want this one girl to notice me out of all the other guys and then this is us just throwing around our value of that validation and being represented or seen in a particular way and then having to upkeep that persona or you know like your friend when he's like i want to be this knight in shining armor like he's got to upkeep that and continue lying and continue creating spectacles so that this person will be like oh my god this guy's gone through so much drama just to be with me this means we were meant to be together and i think at the end of this we've been so drawn with drama that when you finally sit down and have mundane conversations, this is when you truly get to know people. And I think it's been really exciting. Just <laughs> enjoying the nothingness, I guess, or the, the, you know, smaller things in life. Um, okay, so that's your own behaviors, um, how your own behaviors have changed. And what about your perception of men? Has that changed at all? <laughs> perception of men? No. 
unfortunately. I think that, I mean, they're marginally still misunderstood, but I now realize that there is a lot of work on all humans, both men as allies, both women as allies, to see people better. We need to communicate better, but our judgments are right in a lot of ways, unfortunately. But you don't have to identify with those judgments and say all of us are like this. It's kind of just like take it exactly as it is. This is one instance. There's proof of that instance. But now there's a hundred other instances that I've experienced. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be millions more because of all of the millions of people that are on this planet. So just to kind of take that out of context and realize, yeah, there's always going to be more perspectives on the same story. Um, I'm just really intrigued. Um, you've spoken to a lot of men and had a lot of different conversations of different natures. Um, have you stayed in contact with any of them? Yeah, I've actually stayed in contact with almost all of them. And it's been great to see which ones still keep in contact and respond to me back. I do check-ins pretty often. And I think it's just interesting that my relationship with these men is totally different because they started their relationship with me by being extremely vulnerable without me know without knowing anything about me. And then we slowly get to learn more about me and then we become friends or maybe we don't, depending. But um, yeah, I think it's been a really cool way to create new relationships with men. Unfortunately, this is, I think, you know, after the 100 men, this is um, the time for me to integrate these learnings without the excuse of a podcast to, to get to these vulnerable questions like pretty quickly and be like, hey, can we have these conversations instantaneously, hopefully? And there's no like romantic interest involved where we get to this point over a bunch of beers. You know, I just want to know if we can meet at this level without any other things on the table. So that'll be my new challenge. And that concludes the 100 Mass Men series. I can't believe I've spent a whole year interviewing men. It's completely changed my life. I believe that I've transformed completely. And on top of it, just traveling around Mexico and discovering myself and finding out new things and just collecting so many different perspectives. It's changed my entire outlook on relationships. I don't look at any actions or behaviors as right or wrong, but I just want to understand why we are the way that we are. And I think that has been just a magical experience. And I'm so grateful for all of you for tuning in, for listening, and for being a part of the show. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned to my last series summary on the 100 Masked Men series. And who knows what I'll release in season five. Until then, Amanda out. <laughs>